0: You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast, bringing you
1: news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 57 of the Surf Simply Podcast. We're recording on Monday, the 9th of April, 2018. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Asher King. Hello, Podcastland. Derek Didica. Hello, everyone. And Tommy Potterton. Hello. We're back after, a, a, a well, uh, it's kind of a predictable hiatus at this point, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it has been a long time. It has been a long time. Everything that's been going on at the resort, and uh, we all had a couple of weeks vacation at the start of March. So yeah, anyway, we are back. Apologies for our, our long absence. What did you guys get up to over the break? Well, we all went to Nicaragua together. We did. Which was pretty weird. <laughs> um,
1: it was a lot of fun. It's cool to hang out with everyone outside of work. Yeah. We scored some pretty epic and daunting and challenging waves, but i think everyone had a pretty good time
0: it is that there, there was there was an idea floated for a few people to go up to an area in northern nicaragua and chancletas and uh slowly one by one more and more people in the office said oh that sounds fun oh that sounds fun so in the end i think there were 20 of us in total we had to rent a coach to get everybody to the airport
2: <laughs> party coach we did not look cool arriving i think that at least fun. at
0: least half of the aeroplane was Surf Simply. <laughs> it was pretty weird. But no, it was good fun. It was, it was, uh, we, had, we had three houses that we had
2: to rent. Full. All full. Yeah. With
1: people sleeping on floors. People sleeping yeah. on floors, yeah.
2: I slept in the loft. <laughs> Actually got a hallway. Actually got the
1: best room again. Yeah, yeah. really nailed the room selection.
2: It was uh, me and Harrison, uh, one of our coaches at Surf Simply, who were putting some like, pretty serious time in the water. Uh, and we were just the loft of, like, the party house. So it was pretty noisy. But...
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure how some of us ended up in that party house, especially poor old Harrison.
3: I have no idea how Harrison stayed in the water as long as he did each day. Like, Asher, you surf a lot. Like, you extend your sessions. And Harrison just, like, won up to everybody, it seemed. He was first in, last yeah, out every day. Yeah,
2: pretty good. Yeah, I left uh, Costa Rica with two knees, and I came back with one. So it was a bit of a bummer, but... Uh... Yeah, that's it. it. Luckily it was the last day of the trip, so got a lot of good uh a lot of good waves otherwise. So what what's the prognosis on your knees? Well, I was out of the water for a month. I did uh like four and a half weeks out of the water. I'm just kind of babying it now. But um yeah, I tore my meniscus and that is just you know, it happens. Uh, good. I I'd much rather it happened surfing than like slipping on the floor in the middle of the night. So <laughs> But yeah, uh Getting home for the MRI? Yep. Yeah, uh in May. what I've um what I've gathered is that meniscus is one of those things that you can kind of get better from with PT. So I'm trying to do that mm-hmm. route, and then when we have time off in May, I'm going back to get it checked out. So
0: yeah. But is that so? You got quite an exciting email the other day about May. Is that is your planned trip home for a full medical going to work?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm going to Mexico before. Um, I'm I'm going to Mexico the week before uh, going back to the states to uh, surf in the Mexi Log Fest. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about that. So Uh, how did that come about? Well, I haven't gotten the full story yet. I've been trying to get in the event for a couple of years, with uh, not much luck. But um, a good buddy of mine from back home actually couldn't do the event because he has to be at the boardroom show in California. So his spot opened up and uh, yeah, I got an email inviting me to do the event. And I was just like, yeah, me, I'm in, please. That's very cool. We'll see. Long left point breaks. Got to get my knee in shape for it.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, is your knee going to be in shape for cross-stepping and drop-knee back, drop knee cutbacks?
2: Yeah, I, I surfed this morning on the log and I like put in a pretty unimpressive performance. <laughs> so we'll see. I got a couple of weeks to whip it in shape. For, but four weeks and counting. Honestly, the most fun thing about those contests is just kind of, uh, I don't know, meeting a lot of the people that are, are people I really look. Up to in longboarding or, or surfing in general, and and kind of just the whole community thing of it. Because even the you know the best longboarders in the world still aren't like big high profile athletes. So it's a big community, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: So you're gonna you're gonna take some recording equipment up and get us some interviews for the pub. Yeah, we'll see. I hope so. <laughs> cool. So and- I don't piss
1: everybody <laughs> off dropping that on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, Tommy, you're also carrying an injury at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, mine's not as bad as Ash's, but I managed to headbutt my surfboard.
0: Yours is more visually
1: impressive. Yeah, although the doctor's done a pretty good job. When I was looking in the mirror, I could barely see it. Um, So for you listeners, when it first happened, there was a lot of blood, as with any head injury, and it looked like I killed myself. (laughs) But now I've just got a thin little line on on, on my forehead. So I'm pretty impressed with the, the, the good work of Alejandro.
3: In hindsight, do you wish it was a little gnarlier? Just for a little better story. I I hit my head
1: pretty hard. I want to be able to talk about it and show people, and I just can't. A little baby gas. Were were you
0: able to milk it for a bit of sympathy at least when you came back and stitches? I I got
1: dinner in bed a lot. Yeah, that was pretty cool. What was
0: Maureen's reaction when she first saw you?
1: Yeah, Maureen, and literally, pardon my French, (laughs) Maureen looked at me and went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um But yeah, I'm I'm back and I'm fine. I'm in the water. Everything's
2: good, man. I'm super jealous. Like when you got a head injury, it's like a pretty cool like horizontal scar on your forehead. And last time I head butted a surfboard, I had like 25 stitches down my face. <laughs> <laughs> I looked like a Bond villain for like a year. <laughs> yeah, anybody ever gets a head injury around here? Doctor Alejandro is killer with the stitches. So yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, what have you been up to, Derek? I was able
3: to try hand planing for the first time in my life. It's always We've got a few around the resort, and I was like, oh, it might be cool to give it a shot. I've just never came around that. I've never done it. And uh, a buddy of mine up in Ostia now, Dave, uh, who has a wood shop that uh, he actually makes hand planes among a bunch of other really cool stuff out of all the different types of wood we have here mm-hmm. in Costa Rica. So I got to go up and chill with him for a little bit. He kind of showed me the ropes and my very first time heading out on a hand plane was like three foot overhead, you know, and it was a it was a fun introduction, let's put it that way, but I felt so free out in the water as far as a huge set coming, you know, you know you're not going to make it out in time, you're going to be dealing with huge walls of white water. On that hand plane, I was just dipping under the sets and crew. I felt like a sea lion out in the lineup, just like total freedom, you know, nothing to worry about turtle rolling or duck diving. And so anybody out there who's never hand planed before, I recommend getting on one, giving it a try. And, and you might find that on those bigger days that you might be a little intimidated to try to paddle out. You know, if, if you're not getting long enough lulls, throw a hand plane and some fins on and it just really opens up everything. It was super, super fun.
2: So now how do you find hand planning compared to just going for a body surf? So, cause for the listeners that might not know hand plane, it's just like, it's, it's probably what, like a sp- four by eight piece of wood maybe?
0: Yeah, it depends. I mean, the, the different companies make hand planes at different designs, but, but yeah, like three or four inches wide by yeah, yeah five or eight inches long. Yeah. So maybe.
2: how did you find that just in body surfing? Ah, natural? Well, again, to be honest, I, Just
3: to go out with a set of fins on to body surf, I've never done. I mean, when you're standing in the white water and Uh you just jump into a wave and body surf, that's all the body surfing I've done. So I really don't even have that to compare to
2: even fins. Fins are an essential.
3: Yeah, yeah. So once I had the fins on and I was watching my friend Dave, um, you know, because when we first hopped in the water and we were kicking out, I was kind of went back into like spearfishing mode when you have to kick out to the second reef and it takes a long time. I just kind of laid on my back like an otter and just kicked with my feet. And then I looked over to Dave and he was kind of just doing a regular freestyle crawl type of swim. And every, so I rolled over and tried the same. And I noticed every time the hand with the plane on it was in the water, I got this huge burst. It was like being a sea turtle for a second. And between the kicking with the fins and the push with the one arm that had the hand plane on it, I was covering so much ground out in the water that again, you could dip under big sets and get yourself, you know, shimmied out to the shoulder if a, if a good set was coming and, And then that first time that I, you know, all right, here goes. And half your body is out of the water and you're, you know, looking way down the line and you can get a little cover up if, you know, for barrel scenarios trying to get covered up, it's, it's a little less intimidating to try to get a little barrel on maybe like a short pound scenario with the hand plane on.
1: I have a question. When you're um, body surfing with a hand plane or hand planing, what do you call Mm -hmm. it? Body body surfing surfing with a hand hand plane. plane, Yeah, there you go. Do you have to change the hand your plane is in? For example, on a right, have it in your right hand and on the left, have it in your Ooh, left good hand? Good question.
0: So you, you don't have to, if you have, but but it helps to have it on your inside hand. Right. So if you're That's going left, you want it in your left hand. If uh, you've got it on your right hand and a good left comes, you can still do it. But what you have to do is effectively roll over onto your back to put your, not not all the way over into your back, but you've got to definitely go past 90 degrees mm-hmm. in order to get your right hand now in against the wave face on the left.
2: That
1: makes sense, yeah.
2: I feel like that's a lot of stress on the shoulder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it probably is. But, I mean, the, the hand plane's really, really useful for getting into the wave early. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's almost like riding a longboard versus a shortboard mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of, you know, having that hand plane really helps you get into the wave early. A lot of the time, you know, you watch good body surfers. They don't actually use their hands in the water that much once they've caught the wave, mm-hmm. um, because they're they're now using their body. Much more as a plane Mm -hmm. than than their hand, but where the hand plane then again becomes really really useful is when you come out of that really nice steep section and out onto a soft shoulder, and again you can kind of engage that that hand plane and it'll let you keep going and kind of you you can almost I've done it a couple of times like actually get like a cutback on a soft section and get back into that steeper section where again you're not really pressing too hard Mm -hmm. on the hand plane. It was a giggle fest for me. I got out of the water with a huge grin
3: and I was like Dave. I don't surf anymore. I'm a hand planter. That's it. I'm <laughs> sold. Like, that was so much fun, especially doing it up at Osteenal too. Like no crowd, big, big sets coming. It was just, it was a blast.
2: Very cool. It's funny. Everybody always gets on to me for surfing. I, I never wear a leash when I'm on a longboard because mm-hmm. usually when I'm riding a longboard, it's just quite small conditions. So I was like, oh, what do you do when you lose your board? But then you just get a body surf. So it's True, like I'd it's a good combo. That, yeah. time. <laughs> Before we move on to the news, just a couple of quick follow-ups. We
0: had a very quick email from a couple of people as the WSL season rolled into a start, which Ashley you're going to fill us in on a little bit more later on. I will. But we had a couple of people reaching out wanting to join the Fantasy Surfer Clubhouse again because you have to sort of re-establish everything each each season with that Uh, i'm wondering what the password is the password for the men's and the women's clubhouses is surf and just to avoid any confusion um, i've actually put it in brackets in the title so the the title of our clubhouse if you want to go and find it is the uh, surf simply podcast open brackets password surf close brackets
2: (laughs) so i'm right in saying that you you can't like have a clubhouse that's just no gate, like no password. Together. No, there has, to be a, there has to be a password, which is a little bit annoying. But that seems crazy. WSL's made a lot of inroads this year, made a lot of progress on things we thought were annoying, but this one still needs to be fixed.
0: Do you know what I have noticed is that the fantasy thing is now really hidden on the website. Yeah, it's not, yeah, you've, you've
1: got to click more. You've got to scroll down. It's yeah, out there. I wonder. It? It, I wonder
0: if they're kind of rolling back on. I mean, it seems weird not to keep it rolling because pre- surely once you've got the algorithms all set, it just runs itself. There can't be anyone that really has. Yeah, there do doesn't too much seem
2: it. like any running cost for a fantasy surfer Yeah, but
1: I am league rank seven out of 162 teams. I'm just checking. I'm pretty stoked with that. Well, there we go. <laughs> pretty stoked with that. Congratulations, Tommy! I'm good at guessing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, we also had a follow-up. I'm, I, I'm probably not going to do any more of these, but uh, I thought this was a good one. I know there's a lot of you guys that listen in, in colder climates, and uh, Jason Claremont got in touch with a few little things—things th- things that he's bought, things that he's acquired—that have uh, made his life considerably nicer. Uh, the first is uh, a good pair of wool socks. This is the uh, Derek is a man who. Feels the cold. I'm sure you can appreciate it. I get cold it. so easy. A nice thick pair of woolly socks after a surf. Yeah. Um, and the other is a product called Dry Robe, which if you go to surfsimply.com slash podcast and you have a look at the show notes, I'll uh, I'll put some links through in there. And that's actually, I think that's, the, that's one of the guys that we know from back home, isn't it, Tom? Well,
1: the one I know is Roby
0: as uh, the, yeah, the original
1: yeah. one, but there's kind of two um, companies claiming that they, they plan the this. Um, yeah. So there's Roby or there's dry robe, or a shout out to my old surf school. If you want one from wave hunters, we used to do them as well. there's oh, yeah. Roby. It. Yeah. Roby. It's like a, it's like a big towel. Have you been to Morocco? It's sort of like a robe. Morocco. It's like a robe. Probably. <laughs> <And Roby. then laughs> you get changed in it. So you don't have to reveal yourself to all the people in the car park. It's pretty much designed for cold spots.
3: I saw one of these years ago in Orlando, my old neighbor, um, pro wakeboarder Dallas Friday, Orlando renowned for its cold climate. <laughs> Maybe not so much for cold, but like Tommy said, changing in the parking lot, like Mm -hmm. there's the Orlando water sports complex where a lot of people pull up to rig up their wakeboards and and Mm -hmm. go out on the, the cable park. And I saw Dallas with one of these years ago. It was made by Fox, I think, where basically two towels with armholes that you can yeah.
0: pull the arms in and change out. I don't know if... Well, that was... See, my mum my made me one about 20 years ago. Your no, mum it. Yeah. It was That's two, it. two towels set together. But no, this, <laughs> this one's a little bit more technical because it's actually waterproof around the outside. So you can stand in the pouring uh, rain okay. and it's waterproof on the outside, but then towel material on the inside. And you can cool. sit in there and stay all nice cool. and warm and snug as you're changing out your wetsuit. Anyway,
2: oh. two little things for you there. Yeah, I think one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my whole life is try to change out of a five-four wetsuit without a robe.
1: With howling like wind, when your freezing, hands are freezing, s- your fingers are falling off. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, like my hands are so
2: cold, I can't even open the car to get the towel. <laughs> And it's like trying to clamp them you together. Guys, this sounds it's,
0: awful. It's it, it's either the cold side or it's just trying to get changed out of a wetsuit without showing your bum to everybody. Because <laughs> I don't I don't wear anything underneath my wetsuit. It's just not very comfortable. Right. And I so see as soon pale as you're cold bum. Yeah, pale <laughs> cold buttocks shivering in the wind. <sighs> no more. No more. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so there we go. There's some little suggestions for you uh, for you listeners. Uh, into the news, then. Um, actually, it's been relatively quiet, over. We, although we've been on off air for quite a while. We didn't record anything over the course of March. Um, but it has been relatively quiet on the news front. Kelly Slater has uh, pulled out for a good chunk of uh, of the rest of the tour, it seems. His foot injury is still giving him trouble. And uh, Mick Fanning has announced his full-time retirement, which, Tommy, you're going to talk about a little bit more later on.
2: On the Kelly Slater subject, there's been a lot of good clips of Kelly Slater coming out, so, right?
1: Yeah. So. It's kind of like... He's preempting something, but he's not sure. So he's just keeping his foot in yeah. for, the, for the moment. And then he <laughs> might
2: just... And he surfed the pipe event last year. I feel like he just... The surf forecast hasn't really been that good for snapper and bells. And his style of surfing isn't really have suited got, for have bells. Have you got to
1: do a certain amount of contests, for example, in this year to then qualify for next year?
2: No, it's a point system. You pretty much, if you win one contest and then... Well, actually, we'll talk about this later, but with the new point system, if you win a contest, you're basically going to re-qualify. Re-qual- okay. Not quite, because like Keanu was saying two years ago, won France and he missed qualifying by like two spots. But if you quali- if you win a contest, you basically would just have to make like one other heat. It does slightly depend
0: on how the rest of the field performs, because it's, yeah. it's the bottom 10 guys are going to drop out. And if, if you have a year where there's a lot of people doing well and doing badly and doing well and doing badly, mm-hmm. then um, it can be a bit more mixed up. But... Yeah, I, I I believe he had to go back and have a second operation after pipe, mm-hmm. which is is what he's now in recovery from. But.
2: but but he's been surfing in Australia. He's like in Australia and surfing, but not in the contest. But not in the contest. Yeah, what's now that Mick Fanning had such a like a big deal for his retirement? I wonder if Slater's like oh... Dang it! He he's like the, he's the big retiree this <laughs> I can't year. Can't do it this year. <laughs>
0: well, maybe maybe he's waiting because obviously Mick Fanning was able to get a good retirement send off party because his headline sponsor has an event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kelly Slater's headline. Well, Kelly Slater is his own headline sponsor. That'd be a kind of weird party to throw. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Something tells me he wouldn't mind it. But
0: there has been a little uh, a little follow up uh, on the the Hawaii permits front since our last episode so it looks like there is not going to be a pipe event in uh, 2019 there's no pipe masters which is a little sad but you know we'll see how that ends up looking there is however um they're bringing back the air show format
2: yeah is is that is that finalized or is it still a
0: rumor mill no no i think it's finalized i think they're doing the first event in france i think they said through the quickie pro
1: okay you're gonna have to talk me through what the actual oh, i was gonna nice. say for <laughs> listeners out there that might not know what an okay. air show format is
0: so this is going back quite a long way this is probably mid-90s when when people are just like air is nobody's doing an air in a regular wc or asp contest as was like nobody's doing one if, if somebody did launch an air like as an instant 10 instant heat went but the guys who were really, really good at the airs weren't the guys on tour. It was all the Sean
2: Barron and... Jason Collins. Yeah, Jesse. Josh Kerr. Josh Kerr yeah, was... Yeah, Josh Kerr was... Yeah, one, he was a, anyway, one, he was like an air show champ, like three times maybe. And I don't
0: think it was organized by the ASP at the time. And it was a sort of sideshow thing. But they would basically just go in, wait for... It was an alternate tour. An alternate tour. And they would wait for really crappy onshore... Dumpy waves and just go out and try and boost the biggest airs.
1: Okay. I cool.
0: think I vaguely remember this, but they would have like yeah, one heat set up for just
3: huge They definitely had
2: or, it in the 2000s. Like they definitely they had, had it. it. Yeah. yeah, and like 2001 to four was probably pretty strong because so that was, was kind the, of how Kerr segued in.
1: And if you score well in these air shows, you accumulate points for the CT?
2: No. No. No, it's going no.
1: to be a complete ah. show.
0: But the, the guys that they're bringing in for it are all guys that are not. Traditional CT surfers, Uh, so they're saying Chipper Wilson, Dane Reynolds, Noah uh, Mm -hmm. Dean—they're all going to be in there. So it's it's obviously going to be a a very different format, but the advantage is, of course, you can run in pretty much any conditions. Mm -hmm. You can pretty much pick the day because France is pretty darn good for airs. It's it's going to there's the potential for you know in the same way that like skateboarding has. You've got park, and you've got ramp, and you've got all sorts of other, you know, different disciplines. Like this is a great opportunity for the WSL to forge a whole new discipline that's probably a lot easier to sell to advertisers.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I'm a bit split on it. I got I can see on one hand, I'd be super excited about seeing Philippe Toledo in an air show against Chippa Wilson because mm-hmm. it's like somebody who you always see their 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 parts and is obviously amazing at, at these aerial maneuvers and, and above the lip. But putting them next to someone who's used to surf in a structured format and, and doing a big air when you only got 20 minutes on the clock. So I think that is cool, and I'm excited mm-hmm. about seeing those kind of free surf guys against. Uh, more uh, traditional competitive guys, but I don't know. The whole thing kind of does feel a bit disingenuous to me. Like it feels a bit like WSL's, like the old uncool uncle. And it's like, oh Noah Dean, oh, he always, he's always talking crazy about us. Come on, get over, get over here, Noah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think it. I think
0: if you're going to set yourself up as the governing body for surfing contests, then you have to embrace whatever direction it goes. In yeah. the same way that you know we, we were talking last year about the changes to the longboarding format. Yeah, and it's like, well, look. Longboarding is changing. Like five years ago, high-performance longboarding was the only type of longboarding that anyone was really interested in, and now the resurgence in traditional longboarding's happened. We as the WSL need to adjust our judging.
2: Well, I know a couple of people that weren't too interested in it five years ago, <laughs> <laughs> but on another note, yeah, I I think it could be cool. It just it really just depends how they. I mean, it, I don't know how they're going to format it. I don't know how they're going to run it next to the event. There's obviously, like, a a big opportunity there, and I'm just looking forward to see how they do it.
3: Yeah. As somebody that doesn't watch match contests, to me, just as it sounds, seems like a bit of, like, a... Kind of like the league that the Harlem Harlem Globetrotters play in, where it's like, it's still basketball, but they're kind of doing some more flair and fun and dunks and alley-oops yeah. and stuff. like.
2: That actually brings up a really good point. Like you said... That aerial stuff's probably super interesting to someone who doesn't surf. Like just like the Globetrotters exactly. is interesting to you somebody kids who's like, to "Uh, cool, yeah, we'll go see yeah. the Globetrotters." Yeah, or the Highlights package is bound to be, you know, sick. Yeah, yeah. so
3: kind of a sideshow.
2: So, all right, WSL, ball's in your court now.
0: <laughs> oh, good segue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was um, pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Really, all the all the news in the last month or two that I've seen anyway has, has come from the WSL. So um, we've got coming up in May, we've got the, uh, the Founders' Cup, which they're running at the Wave Pool at the ranch in uh, the surf ranch in California. And that's going to be a, a, a sort of team event. America versus Europe versus Australia versus mm-hmm. there's a rest of the world team, isn't there? <laughs> rest of the world team. Yeah.
1: Is this gonna like help with their plans to put surfing in the Olympics at all? Is this gonna go against it? Uh well I don't I don't know about that.
0: I, I guess this is an attempt. Like the WSL obviously own the rights to the technology. So the ability to run a team event like this is the guys in for Tokyo for 2020 have definitely said that they're going to run in the ocean. But uh, but they're then rolling on to France. And again, France is pretty keen on the surfing. So yeah. it's, it's
2: Paris 2024, isn't it? Really interesting. Um, on the Europe team, Joan Deru is not on there. And he is, to my knowledge, the highest ranked European surfer. Surely Flores. I think Joan Deru finished higher than Flores last year. Because Deru was rookie of the year. Maybe Flores, just with the win at pipe, ran ahead, but he was definitely better than Leonardo Fioravanti. Fioravanti fell off tour. Hmm. But uh, yeah, Joanne DeFay is captaining captain captain the, 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 the
0: Europe team. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. That there is not a lot of information out yet about uh, how the format's going to work, how they're going to run this. But first surf event, uh, certainly for a long time, where it's uh, accessed by ticket only. Yeah um, They're obviously behind closed gates So they're selling tickets And uh, oh. I happen to
2: know That Rue has bought two tickets <laughs>
1: what? what are the chances
2: That Rue tries to jump in the pool For a wife <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah, pretty high,
0: pretty high. <laughs> I find it hard. No, I know he's very excited about that, so that will be interesting. So uh, hopefully, we'll come back from May. We'll have lots of stuff from uh, from the Founders Cup. We'll have lots of stuff from the Mexi Log yeah, Fest. Be loaded. We should have a good show, listeners. You want to you want to subscribe and tune in for our May show.
2: Will Rue <laughs> buy a flag clad WSL jersey to no. support? no <laughs> it, uh, do you know what i
0: do I'm find Gabriel quite ironic Arredina. he's he's not here i would
1: wear one you know i would i'd wear a bright <laughs> yellow one jesse's, would. jesse's
0: got a sally Fitzgibbons top rue is not here to defend himself so i feel i'm just going <laughs> to dive in there i do think it's quite funny that the event that he is cho- choosing to go through is a real like nationalistic flag waving event given how strongly he feels about <sighs> yeah. not right. being nationalistic and right. flag
3: waving i thought it was more fun to, to watch a contest like goofy versus regular something that like join surfers onto a team some reason that's besides where you're from or you know whatever male female it's cool when they get grouped up in something just unimportant like goofy versus
0: regular
1: long hair versus short hair. yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> stuff like that that's, <laughs> brings no people hair.
0: together okay so finally in the news uh and a little bit and a little bit more sadly, uh, George Downing, the pioneer big wave surfer, um, has sadly passed away recently. George was still very, very heavily involved with a ton of stuff to do with uh, to do with big wave surfing and and surfing in general. He was one of the first guys to go out and charge big waves on the north shore of Hawaii. He was one of the first guys to uh, start putting, altering the boards to actually make them manoeuvre and start thinking about doing cutbacks and, and and turning the board rather than just adjusting the trim of the board to keep it in the pocket. A real, real founding father of the sport. Uh, I will link through to Matt Warshaw's article on the Encyclopedia of Surfing uh, if you guys would like to read up more on him because he's a pretty interesting guy.
1: We just saw Mick Fanning surf his last contest heat and it was a final, at a very special place for him, Bells Beach. He didn't get the result he wanted, but he had, you know, the whole crowd on the beach, above the beach, the whole of Australia, pretty much the world backing him and cheering for him. Got and pretty
2: darn close to the result he, he wanted. He
1: got super close. I kind of felt that that last wave that came through, he could have got a pretty good score on. He was looking for the perfect wave to end on, I guess.
0: Yeah, listeners, Ash is going to talk us through a little bit more Bell's event in, uh, in a bit more detail. But if you didn't watch the final, there was a nail biting finish.
1: Yeah, he surfed against Italo Ferreira in the in the final and Italo Ferreira is gonna be at, up, up up at the top of the of the contention list this year, I would have thought. He's surfing really well. So yeah, a huge career. Mick's been been on the tour for sixteen years. Um he's won three world titles. He probably he could have won a fourth. It came very close. Twenty-two world tour wins. But throughout his career, he's been and for me to watch, he's been someone that's always pushing himself. He's, you know, sometimes he's almost—it's almost been said as kind of a negative thing. He's Mister Consistent. You know, you, you know what you're going to get from him. He does what he needs to do. But yeah, ending at Bells was huge for him. That's where he won his his first CT event in 2001.
2: As a wild card. As a, as a wild card, card now yeah. You're on tour,
1: quite young. And he was, he was able to dedicate that win. I don't want to talk too much about his life outside of surfing, but I feel like it does play a big part. He was able to dedicate that win to his brother, Sean, who who died three years before. He won his second two uh, world titles in 2007, 2009. He won bells again in 2012. He had a huge event um, at Pipe Masters in 2013 against that heat against Kelly and John John Florence. Do you remember that one, Asha?
2: Oh, I remember that one.
1: That was pretty good. I actually... I- I think
2: the... Uh, I don't know. I think it's been a wash because I think he won world t- one world title that I didn't think he won and then he won one or he lost one that I clearly thought he won. I think it was 2013 that uh, it was him and Kelly Slater going into the last event and... He had a heat against CJ Hobgood that I thought he lost. And then he had one against Yaden Nickel that I think I thought he lost. But then two years later, an Adriano de Souza one, um, he had a heat against Mendina that Medina did a big air at Pipe and got like a seven, I think. And I just thought he clearly did not get the score. Um, so, yeah, I think it washes.
1: Um, I guess one of the big things to happen to him was in, in 2015. He was pretty much gunning for his fourth world title. Yeah. Um, and surfing at J bay most people would have heard about this on camera he was attacked by a great white shark and it was kind of just this huge thing that stopped the surfing world and just put everyone into check for for a little moment
0: well i think that would that that was one of those there aren't very many of them through history but that was one of the event that one of the sort of events within the surf world that transcended the surf world And, and you know that was absolutely that was front page news yeah outside of the surfing you know the BBC covered it CNN covered it world champion surfer yeah attack encounter however you want to do it but live on camera mm-hmm. in a world tour event like I mean that that yeah.
2: scary stuff that made him a household name yeah but there was a lot more to that season wasn't there
1: yeah he's a, he's a pretty brave guy he, you know he carried on he um he surfed he, he was surfing in the pipe masters doing really well and then on the morning of one of his um, his heats, he found out about his brother Peter, so his second brother, um, to die, and he kind of dedicated his surfing that day, and then um, from there onwards to his brother. And he went out and surfed on the on the morning of hearing about his brother dying.
2: Yeah, and he was he was pretty clearly shaken up in it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing that. Man, that whole year he got he got divorced that year as well,
2: and that's what like. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like we got robbed of one of the greatest moments in sporting that year on that last day of the Pipe Masters. He fought so hard, and then it was like rainy, junky backdoor, and he just got nipped at the end. Like the whole thing was such a testament to Mick Fanning. Like it's so hard to put into words. Like what? Like I don't know. Like you don't want to use the word a legend, but he's like he is like a oh, solid. He is a solid <laughs> dude. He totally. like transcends legend. Yep. He's he's like on another echelon. Yeah. Well, and particularly
0: you know. The, 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 One of the things that I think isn't spoken about maybe enough with Mick is that when you go back, you know, he was famous for being the party guy on tour, Mm -hmm. for just getting loose after every event. And then, was it 2005, he blew his knee?
1: So yeah, he had that big hamstring tear in 2004. He had to kind of sit down and and reassess himself and he realised his mind wasn't in the right place. His body now wasn't. So he had a, a huge thing to overcome. In order to get himself, you know, back at back at the top of his game, or even higher in in this game.
0: Yeah, and and when he did that, he came back as a very different person, mm-hmm. you know, and it it ushered in. There had been people in the past like this is not to say that other surfers weren't taking the sport seriously, but when Mick came back, you know, he obviously went through a ton of physical rehabilitation. Um, during that that injury, he was off tour for over a year with with the injury but when he came back he came back with a personal trainer, with a dietitian with a coach and I don't know that anybody ever did that, like there were guys that definitely took it seriously you know you could see that Kelly and Andy took it seriously but they didn't travel with personal trainers and coaches and and all the rest of it and Mick suddenly turned up with this entourage Mm Mm-hmm and said, "Not only am I like back, but I'm going to take this more professionally
2: than anybody else around here."
1: And he definitely just set a precedent from then onwards. And- yeah,
2: yeah. I think there's there's a lot of argument. I mean, if you were to look back at the history of surfing, there's a lot of big turning points and a lot of people who totally changed the sport. Like you know, Mark Richards or Simon Anderson with surfboards. Like it, there's a lot of performance and design uh, revolutions. But I can't think of anyone that's done anything remotely as much for professional surfing as mick fanning yeah. i mean when when he came back it was like a night and day change when he came back with that focus it was all of a sudden you know it was much less cool it was like before fanning it was like getting you know piss drunk before the event was like core and cool and after fanning you saw kids at amateur events come with a medicine ball to warm up yeah it was like a like a massive yeah. massive change that's amazing you know that's a that's a huge credit, yeah. And I-
1: it it probably was that that then in the end made him realize that now is the time that he he's he's ready to retire. He he looks at guys like Medina who are still pushing themselves, still taking it that seriously, day in day out, doing everything for contests, and he's probably feeling that he's he's done that now. He's, he's losing that drive. He's he had that um, in 2013. He did the the documentary Missing, and he got to you know experience the world, travel the world, and free surf. He did the there ain't no wave pool. I don't know if you guys have seen that. You've seen that. Oh, <laughs> so That's it called the rattlesnake or something. The rattlesn- right no, here. it's got the music rattlesnake. Yeah. So he's realizing that he wants to do those fun, amazing things now um, while he's still surfing really well.
0: So having, having been the huge influence that he has been, it appears he has now been influenced by all the trips he's been doing with Mason Ho in the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's, I don't know. I think Mick's best surfing is ahead of him. Like, I I, he, he, I don't know. This is just going to be such a different look at his surfing. And just like you said, I mean, there's not much he more he can give back to pro surfing. I mean, let's say he wins another world title. It's amazing. And now, you know, he's in the four world title realm. He's, you know, there's Mark Richards and Kelly Slater. But his surfing has kind of just fit the framework and the criteria as well as it could. Now he's going to be able to experiment with boards. He talked about wanting to ride more single mm-hmm. fins yeah. and twin fins. He's going to be able to explore, you know, new waves. One of the things that he said he wanted to do is he wanted to make an iconic surf movie. And I'm like, he rides for Rip Curl. He's got the Search logo on his board. The Search was like the best surf movie ever.
1: You would He'll, have thought that there's going to be a, a feature film about Mick Fanning.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he like... Someone's
1: missing a trick if they don't. Yeah, if they don't well, that. <laughs> I think I
0: mean, he kind of said he wants to do that. I mean, I have to say, I think one of the best single pieces of filmmaking about surfing is the 60 minute. Yeah, the uh, the ESPN
1: documentary episode uh, 60.
0: I mean that was just it, it didn't the crazy thing for me was that didn't touch on all the things that Mick has done it just touched on you know some of the more dramatic ones that would make for a good storytelling but i mean it, it, well again we will put links to this in the show notes guys go go and watch that because it's an astounding piece of filmmaking
1: it's a real tearjerker you, you can't believe the things that are going on outside of this guy's surfing career yet he keeps plowing through and he keeps going
2: yeah it never felt you know it wasn't ever like a ah oh, you know things are really tough for me and he, just, like, just, he is solid as a rock right? yeah. Like Mick Fanning is like the man everyone else (laughs) is measured by. (laughs) I remember Kelly
3: saying a while back in an interview that when you're winning and you're just on a roll, your heats and you're winning contests like you're enjoying the ride, but you're not really growing as a person and getting better. It's when you have a hardcore injury or a loss in your life that kind of makes you sit back like Mick had to do. And so for those people that might be either in a cast or in some sort of wheelchair right now going through something, like know that this is what helps you grind through and come out on top like Mick did so much better of a person. So,
1: Yeah. Pretty pretty poetic there. You know what I mean? Pretty poetic.
3: Yeah. Maxi
0: Logfest coming up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When you're sitting home. A minor minor meniscal
2: (laughs) tear. I'm I'm ready for my 30 for 30 ESPN.
0: (laughs) You know when everybody
3: else is out surfing and you're home with a cast on or something and it just grinds away at you just knowing that in the in the long run you might come out a better surfer out of it so
1: yeah there's a there's a really really good uh it's an animation actually i think it's done by red, red bull oh so good that where mick talks exactly about that he talks yeah. about um you know winning the title and feeling like yes i've won the title but yeah. where are my friends what's you next know? yeah what, i'm losing that me part of things and how mm-hmm. he's going to try and bring that back and he talks like you said asher about you know the future being trying new boards searching new places discovering stuff right getting back in touch with his friends and and the world
0: yeah that's cool very very cool um yeah i am very excited to see what what he brings to the uh, to the table
2: i love mcfanning cheers mick indeed all the way through bells went cheers mick cheers mick
1: you're listening to the surf simply podcast All right, so
2: we've had uh, quite a WSL season so far. Two events in. Yeah, two events in, 66% of the Aussie leg. Um, So I'll just do a brief skim over the results, and then uh, I think we can dive a little further into the actual WSL structure. But um, Snapper Rocks was a great event. The waves were pretty good. It finished in pumping Kira, which was a really nice crescendo because the the sandbars weren't particularly amazing uh, behind the rock.
0: Yeah, I love it when they get the chance to surf K. It doesn't yeah, happen. It so happens good. every like four or five years that Kira lines up during the event and
2: they get to go there and it's cool. Man, Kira is one of those waves that like some of the waves on tour, like Karamas this year, everybody that surfs Karamas, like you surf out of your skin. Like it's a really easy wave to surf. Uh, Kira seems like the hardest wave to surf ever. It's like one of those waves that on the webcast you're like, oh man, I'm getting kegged. But then if I was out there, I would be on a seven foot pintail, super lost.
0: I've heard that Kira overhead high is just a nightmare to try yeah. and position yourselves and get a wave on.
2: Yeah. And and you could see it in the surfing. There's a lot of tens and twos. Um, just for the listeners, if you didn't see it, Julian Wilson won over Ace Bucken. Julian Wilson had a mangled shoulder, which was pretty insane. Still went out there, still did it, did it, got it done. Yeah. Like think about how much shoulder you're using on duck dives and, um, Ace Bucking with the runner-up, I thought it was so awesome to see a goofy footer backside tube riding because we don't really get that on tour. Yeah. Like, you might see a bit at backdoor, but, like, yeah, watching Ace, like, properly thread some backhand barrels was really, really cool technique-wise. On the women's side, Lakey Peterson beat Keely Andrews. It was a great event. I thought Lakey's long overdue for a win. Uh, I thought Malia Manuel ripped. If, if you really want to dive into the surfing, check out that heat analyzer because WSL has gotten super sharp on their production value.
1: Griffin Colapinto, great to watch. Ah, I, I love him. He's young. He's excited. He's like super silly. It's just like I remember surfing with... with kids like that when I was a bit younger and just surfing's fun. He makes surfing fun. He's going to say something funny. You're going to have a good time. And he did so well. He is so strong technique wise. Mm -hmm. Like he's got the best technique. He seemed to have like a really good understanding of how to compete as well. Like the waves to go for, the waves not to from someone younger. You'd expect him to just go and go and go and just surf himself silly, but he seemed to play a good tactics game as well.
2: Yeah. I think, I think Colpinto is probably like uh, one of those guys that we're actually just having a talk off air about, uh, the waves you should surf to kind of balance the QS versus the CT. Griffin's kind of had the pedigree that he can surf small waves super, super well. But when it gets big, like he has clearly put the time in, in some pretty heavy waves. Yeah. Or like, if, if he, I don't know, how old is he? He's got to be sub 20. Yeah. yeah. And he, he was just...
0: And very well-rounded with it.
2: Really well-rounded. But there was obviously a lot of storylines going into Bells, mainly the Mick Fanning one. And that was a great event. Uh, on the women's side, Steph Gilmore, pretty much the queen of bells. I don't know how she's probably, I don't know how many times she's won It like, <laughs> Seems like that, like between her and Carissa Moore, they surf that wave pretty well. Yeah, she uh took it out over Tatiana Weston Webb. Um and I think Caroline Marks was a pretty big highlight of the event. She's sixteen years old and she surfs like Aki. <laughs> like she just surfs just like Aki at the ball, like teeing off the bottom. It was really, really impressive to see. Um, going into the season, I thought that Caroline Marks should have not surfed this year. I think she should have pulled a Taj Burrow and not done tour this year, like let herself develop a little bit more. Like you're 16, you know, like got a little development to go, but she has proved me totally wrong. She is just belting it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if she's at the top of her game now, then yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I feel like. Back when Taj qualified and was able to take time off, it was mm-hmm. maybe a different time. Yeah, you know, qualification so tough now. Like if it's you make, if you make it, do you really want to throw that away.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, bells was really really fun to watch. But of course, it was all it was all about McFanning for me. I just yeah. I watched every heat. Really enjoyed it. I'd love to know the the
2: the viewership of the bells event if it was because it seemed to me like you know, a ton of people had been watching for the fanning storyline. I'm sure
0: line. a bunch of it. I mean, it has to be said, I didn't watch uh, a ton of I've, I've been pretty busy the last couple of, uh, the last few weeks, and I didn't watch that much of, I, you know, I watched a couple of highlights here and there of Snapper and of of Bells, but I did, my phone pinged for one reason or another to say that, that Mick was getting in the water for the final. I mm-hmm. did then, like drop work
1: i feel like that was very strategic and... by wsl that wasn't like a random <laughs> yeah. ping i think we sh- we should probably mention the fact that bef- before we got to the, the the quarters and the semis the top seeds were just getting knocked out one after the other weren't they yeah i think a good one to touch on is john john
2: john, john getting uh oh, last place finish <laughs> in snapper <laughs> and then getting like beat around like a schoolyard bully he was literally Bells.
1: bullied it was pretty incredible to watch is z younger Zeke is, uh, I think he's
2: pretty about, much the same, the
0: same age. age. About the yeah. same age. Yeah. But he's a big boy. He's,
1: yeah, he's big. He's yeah, probably he's a, pretty... But, att- but I mean, John John's, John, big. Yeah, John John's a big boy too. <laughs> they nice both dwarf me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I want to say that Zeke Lau is trains by doing MMA. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's a
2: college level footballer and like... It, he,
1: it nearly got physical at times when they were paddling like right next to each other. And it was it was interesting to see something because John John's good at... You know, getting himself in position, he's good at intimidating. It was interesting to see someone then do it to him, you know, a, a it, world champion.
2: So, listeners, if you did not see this heat, it was in the third round of the Bells contest. And at the beginning of the heat, uh, nobody has priority. So you can take and it, it, it's not like we're taking turns for waves. It's whoever's deepest. Um and oftentimes, tactically, people push themselves way, way up the point trying to, if they're being competitive on who goes for the wave first, it's like, I'll go deeper than you, then I go, you go deeper than me. And then all of a sudden we're out of position and, and Zeke basically found the spot that he wanted to sit. So he wasn't going to get pushed any further up the point for the waves and just sat there and he would not let John John pass him. He like literally sat on his board and every time John John tried to pass him, he was just like giving him the shoulder. It was crazy. And but it, I mean it worked. He he threw John John off his rhythm, and I understand the tactics. I, I you know if that was my career, I'd you know probably want to win too. But it was not that pretty to watch. Yeah, it was kind of
1: aggressive and and just a bit like John John was clearly pretty you know not stoked by this. It's like he said, it's all a competition. And I just kind of laugh about it. So it sounds like he's okay with it, but then he carries on. And he's like, because he's paddling over my board and stuff. In a way, it's kind of lame because it's fun to surf a, he- a heat based on pure surfing and not sitting on someone's board.
2: So I he's, agree. He's pretty annoyed.
1: Yeah, it was weird. I if actually, it worked,
2: it worked. But yeah, once John John had a priority, Zeke was like paddling circles around him like a shark. It was <laughs> the weirdest thing.
1: Weird intimidation tactics. Yeah, but
2: you know, I mean, it is a contest, and Zeke Zeke didn't requalify for tour last year. He had to qualify back through the QS. So, Um, and if you are someone like Zeke Lau, you have a very, you have a low seed going into the event. So those round three matchups are super important because if let's say he loses that heat to John John, now he goes into Margaret River with an even lower seed and he's getting matched up against one of the best guys again by winning that heat. Now he's lost his seed and he's going to draw a more mid-level surfer. So it does set up his year a lot better, but oh man it's not that nice to watch do you think that after doing what he did and successfully beating john john
3: we're going to see more of that you know maybe some younger guys would have seen that oh if he took out john john with that method you know maybe i'll try that against so and so or what do you think we'll see more of well, it now
1: it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about fanning and how just how seriously these surfers are starting to take this you know yeah. this is this is their livelihood
3: this is their- Well also do you think that if somebody tries that On someone else, did John John kind of just hold back and let it happen to him? Where he's just kind of like not super edgy and competitive and he just let it happen. Do you think that if Ezekiel Lau tried to do that to somebody else on tour, they wouldn't have had it? Whereas, yeah, John John, you you weren't
1: doing that to Fanning, were you? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I'm wondering. I don't know. You
2: do not want to see the beginning of a heat turn into like a football line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How hard can we hit each other? Yeah, (laughs) well,
0: I mean, to an extent, that was you know, we, we now have at the world tour level, we have two guys in the water and we have a priority system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you go back a few years and it used to be four guys in the water and no priority. And it it, just Free for it was all. an absolute...
2: That was pretty far back. Was, four years know. with no
0: priority. It's no, like, no, 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 I know. But when, like, when they first hit the water... Yeah. I mean, that's still the case now on the QS. You have four guys hit the water or even six guys hit the water and there's no priority until oh, the first no, no, guy this... catches a wave.
2: Oh, yeah, first guy. But then it's a priority system.
0: Then it's a priority system. But it, again, going back a good few years... There was no priority. It was closest guy to the peak, and it turned into absolute like dogfight. Yeah,
2: good thing we got past that. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think if I was Zeke, you know, obviously it's pretty sweet you made that heat. But um, it's really like Zeke, it's like his his main sponsor is like pretty important, and like at the end of the day, you're just trying to sell products. And I don't know if he is winning a popularity <laughs> contest. Like had After he tried to moved. do that
3: to Mick, what would Mick have done? Do you think? What was his re- response Oof. in comparison to John Johns?
2: I don't know. Well, or somebody else, like a Michelle
3: it, Burres or something. Like,
2: well, he you, you could have just let Zeke get the first wave, and then he's in priority rotation. Okay. So and it's now, really
3: just for that until somebody gets the yeah, first wave. Lose we might see a bit of more an of advantage,
2: especially in a place like Bells, where it's lo- like if you're at lower trusses, it wouldn't really happen because right. I mean, well, if you're in a spot where it's really consistent, it wouldn't be as big of a deal because you right, get a lot of opportunities. Right. But at Bells uh you may only get like two waves and even more than the actual priority thing for john john he fell on the two like he had two Ah, waves like you know he could have made the heat but he was he was fostered yeah i mean i I don't feel that that zeke's tactics were anything to do with getting waves
0: or not they were totally to do with just throw it because if john john's relaxed if he's like in a relaxed calm frame of mind like Big Bells is something that he's very at home with and he's just going to tear off. And I think the fact that John John fell on some pretty average manoeuvres just yeah. shows that Zeke got totally inside his head in the same way, you know, Kelly used to do it by, by you know, famously, you know, walking up to Andy at the start of the final. Oh, I love you, man. <laughs> I, like I, just throwing someone at, yeah. at, that, yeah. at that level, somebody's mental game when they paddle out into the water is so important and so fragile that Mm -hmm. if you can throw them off you can walk it you know you that's going to be your advantage
2: yeah i think you know on the exact opposite side of the competitive coin like that is like sort of the ugly side of competitive surfing on the other side you have pat Gadowskis who is surfing out of his skin in the event where that you could see that the contest really brought out the best in him like every heat he was pushing his turn like 15 to 20 percent further than normal and you could see how he did have to push his surfing and that was fun to watch mm-hmm. we were like oh this contest is actually like that you know bringing out the very very best in them which yeah that was really cool to see i think that was actually one of the highlights of the event for me
0: yeah i i it's always great i i'm always very happy to see you know when when you get a lull between waves and you see that the guys are sitting out there having a conversation and laughing and joking with each great, other great. like that kind of I like that.
3: Set yeah, a good like example that too. too. That's um,
1: better than when they're back to, like back to back not talking and there's no waves coming and they're just awkwardly silent. And yeah, sitting really close. Yeah. But,
2: <laughs> but you Man, know. I would have a tough time with that. I would just start laughing. <laughs>
0: yeah. But I think, I, you know, I, I think I've told this story before, you know, that, that whole side of things is so important. I remember watching... Um, fanning and medina in france in a final uh-huh and medina was going for these little uh sort of hail mary uh airs mm-hmm. and mick was very very patient got a couple of set waves got his sense as soon as he got his second score that they were surfing completely different peaks like two three hundred i remember apart.
2: that junky waves that year
0: junky waves as soon as mick got that second score he paddled straight over and sat on medina
2: yeah, and yep. just
0: just any time a set wave came through, he just didn't let Medina do it, and mm-hmm. and took took
2: the win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to wrap up the men's side of things, uh, Italo Ferreira took out Fanning in the final. Surfed amazing. <laughs> he, you can't take anything away from him. He was doing some of the best backhand surfing I've ever seen. His projection off the bottom backside is it's like it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's it's very cool to watch isn't it it's it's a really nice mix of of sort of modern above the lip surfing and yeah. and actually for a smaller guy like a lot of power being thrown down mm-hmm. everybody we've spoken about this already everybody wanted Mick to win that event every time he stood up you could hear on the webcast it was like <sighs> yeah
1: it's <Yeah, that's> crazy <laughs>
0: but but there's no denying like italo was the on form surfer for that event like yeah. every single time he hit the water it, it went good I one thing that we haven't spoken about that I was wondering you know what if one of the younger Aussie guys had been in that final with Mick I think that is a really good question like would would if that was Owen Wright or Gillian Wilson do you think they would have thrown it
2: I don't think they would have thrown no. it, but I think it definitely would have been playing on them. I In think their for, mind,
1: yeah. Just hearing yeah. hearing their supporters, because right. you know they share supporters on the beach, right. rooting for the other guy would have definitely yeah. played a big part.
2: I, I don't know. For somebody, they would like, have been
1: like, "This is what this is what my people want. This is what my, my yeah, fans yeah. want." I, and I don't think somebody, they would have thrown it though. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's somebody they would have looked up, up to their whole life, and that that would play yeah. on you kind of subconsciously. Yeah. yeah, I think I maybe if you know, let's say Owen Wright was out there and he just happened to be out the back when just two smoking waves came through that'd be great but i think he'd have a tough time like fighting for the paddle paddle, yeah yeah. you wouldn't be paddle battling fanning in his last seat so yeah
0: Yeah. i don't know it's an interesting one because the the other side you know now with the new point system like the difference between a first and second place is oh absolutely is is pretty big and man if you lost the title at the end of the year because you'd given Mick a bit of an easy ride. Yeah. I don't know if they would have given it to him. Well maybe in those instances where it's like
3: But that's what I mean. Kind of in those little instances. Adjures, yeah.
2: yeah, for instance, there's a there's a huge difference. First is is ten thousand, second is seven thousand. It's
0: it's still a solid, what's that, twenty two twenty two percent more points for a yeah. first over a
2: Yeah, it's it's a really, really big difference. Yeah. I don't know. I I think we can all agree that Zeke Lau would not have rolled over uh, for Fanning in the final. I think he would have uh, probably belly flopped on him So even more than the contest results, I think some of the most interesting stuff for this season so far has been the changes that WSL has made.
0: The way that the results finish on round four has now changed. So we've now got a, a loser at, mm-hmm. at round four being eliminated. So Which has
2: been done in the QS for a while, and I think it's awesome.
0: I, yeah, I feel like th- there was obviously a good intention behind bringing in those non-elimination heats, but mm-hmm. I don't feel that it actually worked in the yeah. way that they intended it to
2: that's a really good example of of you know they tried it as the experiment and they noticed that it wasn't pushing surfing forward and rather than just sticking with it they they changed it and because you eliminate round five um and i forget which round that is for the ladies event but uh, the non-elimin yeah the non-elimination round for ladies um you can finish the event just wait like a day faster and that, that helps really maximize the swell. I mean, swell events don't last forever. So rather than putting the finals out in junky conditions, you, mean, you can really maximize the opportunity. So I think that's great. Um, it's also really interesting to see the three man heat with two making it. I can't wait to have a heat when it's you have like two countrymen and one guy who there's clearly a bit of a rivalry and see <laughs> if there are some tactics sitting on him. See if there's some blocking. Because that is ripe for blocking. Yeah. Um, another big change is the new head judge, who I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Pratamo Arendt, who has had a much, much lower scoring scale throughout the season. Last year, one of our biggest uh, criticisms were 10s were thrown out all over the place. Like, J-Bay had about 110-point rides. and. Like, not 100 waves were – like, guys were getting 10-point rides for waves they didn't finish. They would, like, stop, claim it midway, and they just weren't surfing the wave perfectly. So, I mean, this year it's been much harder um, to get a score, which I love. I think that's refreshing, and that'll actually, uh, as a downstream effect, push the surfing forward more lastly uh, the new head judge has been sending out text messages to the surfers the morning of the event asking you're telling them what the judges are looking for which is subsequently read out on the webcast so you know going into it you know you're at bells you got to hold your rail around all the way around to the whitewater so you have to hold that turn longer and that's what the judges are deeming on this day is more critical surfing and that's. I mean, there's no reason that there should be a veil there. There's no reason that it should be a mystery what the good the good surfing they're looking for. So, uh, I think that's just like a simple fix that just makes the whole competition just it's like a
3: rubric on an assignment. Like, yeah. Hey, if you include all these, I'll give you an A. Yeah. You, 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 this you is an, what you we're looking for. This is
2: what we're looking for. Yeah.
0: No, I think I think that uh, that that's a much better system.
2: And lastly, a huge criticism that we've had on the podcast of the WSL is now. Or that they've solved is when you log on to the website, you don't get the results, no. which is amazing. <laughs> There's so many times it won't work and I can't watch the finals. Or, or, and now if you dive in, it just gives you the option to start from whatever point you want. And it doesn't tell you who won. And I'm just like, boom, I'm in. You can uh, get a condensed version so you don't have to watch right. 35 minutes. It's like an eight minutes all scoring rides. So, Perfect. yeah. Boom, my my buddy
3: used to ask his roommate to open it up and log in so he could like, this is somebody that didn't care at all. But yeah, he that was, was like, I don't want to see what it is. So can you go to this website and yeah. just click play on this for me and then walk away? Like,
2: they used to be my girlfriend's studio. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to come home. <laughs> okay, it's going to be at the top left corner. <laughs> don't let me know. Don't tell me, just click play. But That never worked. And this time I actually watched the quarters on without knowing the results. So that awesome. was pretty sweet.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, just as a, little, uh, a quick little wrap-up, we mentioned the fantasy surfing uh, beforehand. So fantasy results from Snapper. <laughs> we have some good team names this year. <laughs> yes, yeah, strong um, names. Uh, <laughs> Kelly's face when Gabe dropped in uh, won the event. <laughs> and in the women's... <laughs> really uh, good name. Strong name, by the way. Strong name. Well done. Jordan's picks won the women's. Uh, at Bells.
2: Bonerman 5000 won the event. <laughs> That's not me, by the way. That's not you. Okay. Uh, I will say that now, like, now that we have a couple of years of WSL fantasy under our belt, like Bonerman mm-hmm. has put in a lot of good performances. There we go. Bonerman <laughs> has been Bonerman. It's an upstanding Bonerman member of the community. Well-leading Bonerman. Bonerman. <laughs>
0: um, and Matthew's picks won the women. Uh, So that leaves us overall in the men's. Kelly's face when Gabe dropped in is in the lead over Boogie Boarder for Life and Phallus Ov's picks. It's a weird name that I'm not sure I quite get. But anyway, uh, in the women's Lip Smackers is in the lead over Jordan's picks. Uh, so well done guys if anyone else wants to sign up and join the uh, join the clubhouse then please do come and play along with us all see if you can beat Tommy and knock him off his spot Boner
1: Man is a hard one to beat <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um,
0: and the upcoming events uh, is obviously Margaret River the last event of the Australian leg uh, that is kicking off on April 11th which probably by the time I've done this edit uh, we will be in oh we'll good
2: surf forecast
0: probably be in the middle of that event it's yeah, one of my favourite ones that one, one really yeah as long as they're it's, not running in
2: a main break it's one of the it can be great and it can be terrible
1: where did they run it last year main, main break. break
2: but that was like the best performance that has ever been that was run. pretty
1: amazing last year yeah where did they run it the year before box that one that one was sick they did
0: one one round <laughs> <That was. laughs> at the box yeah
1: yeah that one was cool bono man
2: 5000 loves the box <laughs> <laughs> that's his favorite event.
1: <laughs>
0: Okay, so I am just going to do a very quick follow-up to uh, the two pieces I did a few episodes ago, episode 50 and episode 51, where I got a little geeky and technical about some surfboard design stuff. And I had a couple of emails off the back of that from people asking about the uh, relationship between the volume of the board and the surface area of the board um, and how they interplay with each other. So just to recap very briefly, episode 50, I did a piece about the volume of the surfboard, what the volume is, and then the idea of taking the volume of the board and surfing a size that was relative to your weight um, and balancing that out. And then in episode 51, we spoke about where you would put that volume if you, if you looked to the board, looking at the outline and the foil of the board, and therefore where, where that foam is going and, and, and how that's going to affect the way that the surfboard performs. And off the back of that, um, I got a couple of people emailing asking about, and in particular uh, with regards to catching waves, whether the volume is more important or the surface area is more important. Um, And so the surface area being sort of the 2D, if you look at the bottom of the board, just the, the, the 2D area of the board, where the volume being the 3D box that the board is. And there's quite a few, if you start bouncing around and researching it, there's quite a lot of proponents of both ideas on the internet. And, that it, you know, as with so much of surfing, there is almost no evidence anywhere to support either point of view. So all I can do is give you my, my 10 cents on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully this is interesting. But but yeah, as yet, this is, this is not an area, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, catching a wave, this is something that's not very well studied. The closest thing we have is studies that are done in the area of naval architecture on planing hulls, um, little speed boats and, and things like that designed to lift up and skim over the water, which do work a lot like a surfboard. But obviously they are almost invariably working on a flat, smooth body of water, not on a moving body of water that has changing shape as we do on a surfboard. So just very briefly, particularly in terms of catching a wave, what we're really trying to do is get the board up onto the plane, skimming over the surface of the water as fast as we possibly can. In episode fifty-one, I spoke about the difference between a displacement and planing, and that the basic physics of going from one to the other. As a basic idea, though, there is a limited amount of speed that a boat can do when a boat is sitting down in the water in what we call displacement mode. There's a, a limited top speed that it has, which is very much based on the length of its waterline. And there's a, there's an equation that you can do to look that up. It is theoretically possible for a boat to exceed. That's that, that theoretical speed, but the energy requirement just becomes ridiculous. So in, in practical terms, it's not possible to, to, to exceed that. The way that we can exceed that speed is by, by lifting the boat out of the water and having it skim over the surface of the water, which we call planing. At that point, what we're relying on is dynamic lift, very much like an aeroplane flying generating lift um it's a very different set of physics to the buoyancy that the the boat has the the the, when the boat's sitting in displacement mode it's using buoyancy to just stay afloat
2: and am i right in saying that basically the moment that a board goes from displacement mode to planing is when you actually catch the wave because before that you're you're not really getting you're not physically capable with your arms of of hydroplaning are you
0: so so this is my hypothesis, um, which, I, again, I, have, I don't really have a lot of evidence to support. But yes, I, I, you're certainly not going to be able to paddle the board onto the plane. Just our, our muscles aren't strong enough. We need the, the gravity of falling down a wave face to get the board up on the plane. And I think that that moment that, that everybody who is listening to this who surfs will recognize what I'm talking about here. There is that moment when you know you've got the wave and you can get to your feet. And I think that 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 moment that you feel that that sensation is the surfboard lifting up onto the plane. You, and you get for anyone that's driven in a, a planing powerboat when you when you open the throttle and the boat finally gets on the plane, you get that little surge forwards. Just as the boat finally climbs up out of the water, you get that little whoom, that little surge of acceleration. And on a much smaller scale, I think that's what we feel uh, as you paddle into a wave. But that, that That is just a hypothesis.
2: Ooh, I'm very excited to hear what conclusions you come to now. <laughs> I feel like a lot can be extrapolated from what you just um, said. So, um, it is possible, Whilst uh, just as I
0: said, there is this um, this hull speed, this limit to how fast a, a, a boat or a surfboard can go in displacement mode by, by just driving through the water. The only way to go above that is to, to, to get the board on the plane. However, it is possible to get a boat or a surfboard on the plane below that speed because they're not it's it's not a binary case of, of of you know you go from one into the other at that point to go higher than hull speed you must be planing but because the what create what allows the boat or the board to lift up out of the water is this dynamic lift if you shape the board to create a lot of dynamic lift at low speed then the boat or the board will lift out of the water well below that that hull speed. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, calculating dynamic lift is incredibly complicated. Uh, like textbooks as thick as my head.
2: And that's without even being. in in a dynamic environment that's flat water this is
0: just flat water um you have to take into account the wetted surface area which obviously is not uh, a static target like that's changing constantly as the as the boat or the board moves through the water you've got to take into account the speed you've got to take into account the aspect ratio that is the the length to width ratio of of the shape of the board Um, you've got to take into account any uh, inclination, Um, so so from rail to rail, any V or concave that might be in there. You've got to take into account the angle of the tack, the the trim uh, that the board or the boat is sitting at, uh, and then the fluid density of of the water that that you're moving through. And pretty much all of those are moving constantly, even just on a boat trying to get on the plane in static water. If you think about as a surfer, when you start paddling, as soon as you start paddling, the angle of attack starts changing because the the, the boat, the, the, the nose of the board will start to generate lift and will actually that angle of attack will change. As the wave then comes along and lifts the tail and you go from being on a flat surface to being on that sloped surface, the angle of attack, the f- speed of the, fl- of the water, although your paddle mm-hmm. speed remains the same, actually the water is moving around underneath you at completely different speeds. Everything is changing. The wetted surface area is changing again as that wave lifts you up different amounts of the board will be exposed to uh, water and at different angles the angle of attack is changing
1: could it be a good aim to try and increase your paddles as the wave lifts you so that you keep that angle the same as it was on the flat water you increase your paddles to keep it the same as the tail gets lifted
0: potentially although so just to show you know one of the problems when you generate lift you also generate drag so You can increase the amount of lift that you create by increasing the angle of attack, by lifting the nose and dropping the tail. That would increase the angle of attack, which Mm -hmm. means at any given speed, you're increasing the amount of lift that you're generating. But you are at the same time increasing the amount of drag. And so there's sort of a bell curve of productivity where you're, you're increasing and you're getting better and better and better. And then actually now the amount of drag that you're producing, although the amount of lift is going up, the amount of drag is going up significantly. As well, and you're now losing out.
1: And then you've got gravity working as well.
0: Then you've also got gravity to help you increase speed. Uh, so yeah, Ugh. there it. And and this is never ever been studied in in a wave situation you you know that like i say there's 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 been stuff done on on flat water boats but but nobody has ever really got any kind of measuring equipment in in on waves and and watched surfers trying to catch waves it's not been the subject of 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 proper studies
2: i would be so interested to see the relation like a a good data on the relationship between wetted surface area and uh or like yeah wetted surface area for minimizing drag versus surface area for lift because like right off at the top of my head i think like oh i generate so much lift off a big long board but then if you have all like when i'm riding a big wide long board there's so much wetted surface area so maybe something like a george Greeno edge board where you're minimizing the amount of wetted surface area on the Mm -hmm. bottom
0: so, if you really want to get into it, there's two, um, there's two documents that are, are really, really interesting. There is a book called The Naval Architecture of Planing Hulls that was written by Lindsay Lord in 1946. It was based off uh, a whole bunch of research that was done by the US Navy during World War II to try and create the most efficient high-speed planing hulls for their motor torpedo boats. Um, that book is the book that, um, Bob Simmons. Yeah, I was
2: about to say, it's like the Bob Simmons,
0: George Greeno Bible. Yes, that was their Bible when they were then creating boards. Um, in terms of them moving on, um, there is a gentleman called Daniel Savitsky, Uh, who is from New York he was a professor of fluid dynamics and naval architecture for years and years and years there's a paper that he wrote in 1964 called the hydrodynamic design of planing hulls and that goes into all those things that you're just talking about I I, I will uh, put some links to both of those Uh, there's actually a a PDF of uh, Savitsky's article so I'll I'll put a link to that if anyone would like to read it if you just read the first page you'll see how complex the problem is
2: Yeah, I was about to say I'm super interested on the subject however i feel like svitsky's work is probably i'm going to read one page and like <laughs> retain very very little of it so i think the yeah. best course of action is for you to read both books <laughs> start to finish and then i'm going to need to sit down and have like a have a talk with you okay well because so I, I actually have tried on the first <laughs> one i've tried on naval architecture of planning halls and i was just like woof! i did not make it to this level
0: in school so the initial question was about the relationship between volume and surface area. Okay? So volume is your indicator of the static buoyancy of an object. When you throw it in the water, um, because all surfboards are more or less the same density, they'll all float about the same. So volume shows you how much it's going to to float. Surface area is just one component of, of the, that, that complicated equation that, for, for dynamic lift. I think a really good analogy to think about is that the volume, when you're paddling into the wave, we've got to lift the board out of the water. The greater the volume is, the higher the board's sitting before you start to use dynamic lift to try and lift it out. So the higher the volume, the less lift, the less surface area you need to get the board up on the plane at the same time. The lower the volume, the lower the board sits in the water, the more lift is going to be needed to get you up out of the water. Remembering that your weight is a huge part of, of the overall thing. So the volume might be like the tee-off point when you're playing golf. You have different tees for people of different abilities. You know, you normally have the the men's tee and the women's tee, and then at some places they have the, the sort of junior tee-off.
2: A bit questionable there. Men's and women, the different tee, but I'll leave that for another one. That's, <laughs> hey, I didn't design yeah. the sport of golf.
1: I was about to say, it's one of my grapes with golf. We'll, we'll say but the bit- red
2: tees... The white tees,
0: the blue tees,
3: (laughs) and the black. You're
0: going beyond my knowledge.
2: We'll go
3: go color, not gender. But here's
0: here's (laughs) the deal. So so the the volume of the board is sort of like that tee-off point. You've got to hit the ball all the way to the hole, but you can start a little bit closer to it by increasing the volume of the board. Okay? The surface area would be like the use of your hips in the swing when you hit the ball. It's just one component. Yes, the hips are helpful, but you could have good hips or bad hips in your golf swing, and the ball would still end up at the, uh, at the hole eventually. Does mm-hmm. that kind of make yeah, sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not like like volume is a, 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 a solve-all equation. It, it is really useful. And yes, the bigger the surface area, if we could keep everything else the same, the bigger the surface area, the more lift you're going to generate, and therefore the quicker you're going to be up on the plane and riding. But it's not quite as simple of a, a, a thing to understand it. As,
2: as the volume on a board. And then you have all the complications of volume versus surface area over what distribution when you're actually up and riding. Yes, exactly. Because
0: the wetted surface area then changes. Yeah. So um, it is a really interesting thing to think about. Um, but in terms of, as far as this conversation concerned, you know, we were just really looking at, at, at catching waves. So in terms of, of, of catching waves and getting to our feet, um, volume and surface area are, are I guess... Equally important you you can 't discount either one, but they 're also important in different ways you know once once you 're up and riding, the volume really doesn 't do anything for you it 's not important the The surface area is important all the way through the process, um, although it does nothing for you when you 're sitting still, obviously, but the interplay between the two is is just a little hard to pin down but i don 't think that surface area is something that people should get hugely tied up in worrying about. Because everything else that we just spoke about in terms of, of the bottom contours, the rocker, um, the, the inclination of the, you know, the steepness of the wave are all playing a similar effect. And we do know that foam is your friend. Uh, yeah, where, where we, can, we can, just from a very simplistic thing, say that, look, just in terms of catching the wave, if you could take the same board and just increase the volume slightly, it's, it's going to be easier catching waves. All right, that is almost all we've got time for. So uh, before we go, a uh, quick what-to-watches. Uh,
2: Asher, what you got for us? Oh, I have a what-to-watch that I really like. Uh, I really enjoyed Tanner Godowskis's, uh new edit, Project One. Um, I really like Tanner Godowskis' surfing, and I also like how he's sort of shifting away from the QS grind and get to be a little more creative, and I just thought it turned out really well. And uh, yeah, he yeah, always cool. chooses very good music. Mr. Godowskis. So, strong point. Very cool. Uh,
3: Derek? Mine's going to go away from the surfing world a little bit. If you have Netflix, I really enjoyed Fred Armisen's Stand Up for Drummers. Even if you don't play any music and you've never played in a band, it's really yeah, very informative good. and super funny.
0: You're a bit of a uh, comedy aficionado. Comedy Love me some audio. stand up. Very cool. Uh, tell me what you got for us.
1: This is my second recommendation for the surfer Kaiotek Shara, the, the Brazilian guy. It's called I I hate politics, but I love rights. Super exciting. It's my kind of longboarding. It's, uh, it's awesome. I like the title. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't really know what he's trying to get at, but whatever. It's, it's awesome. I love that one.
0: Very cool. And uh, my little recommendation for you is one of the Rip Curl projects with Mason Ho and Tom Curran, uh, both chasing uh, typhoon swells uh, off in the uh, North Pacific. Ooh. It's pretty fun just watching those two let's be honest slightly oddball characters uh, <laughs> interacting with each other and having fun but at the same time like super super cool surfing so how
1: I'll,
2: happy I'll is rip curl that they now have tom curran mason ho and mick fanning able to travel together yeah that's gonna be that that's is pretty strong isn't that it? is a strong
0: group for a movie All right, guys, that is all for this episode. Uh, We will be back hopefully a lot sooner uh, next time with a little roundup from Margaret River and uh, a few more listener emails. So if you guys have any questions, then please feel free to get in touch. For now, from all of us here, goodbye.
1: That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.